Welcome to the Art Life Faith Podcast, and I'm your host, Roger Lowther. This is our 50th podcast episode. Woohoo! Happy birthday, Art Life Faith Podcast. I can't believe we've done this 50 times now. I'm so grateful for all of you who've come along with us on this journey and who've supported this podcast in so many ways by continuing to listen, by giving it five-star ratings, and leaving your reviews. You know, we've had 5,000 downloads so far since we first started three years ago in the height of the pandemic. And we continue to grow each and every episode. So thank you for spreading the word. And I've really been encouraged by some of the reviews that we've gotten. I'd like to share a few with you. Beautiful. Unlike anything I've ever heard before. Another said, perfect bite-sized treasures of the gospel for weary souls. Another wrote, beautiful gems of inspiration. I love how Roger identifies beauty in the midst of brokenness. And the last one I'll share is this. Roger's easy storytelling technique draws you in, hugs at your heartstrings, and refreshes your soul. These reviews don't just encourage me, but help other listeners as well. The more ratings and reviews a podcast has, the easier it is for others to find it. So if you're willing, please, wherever you listen to podcasts, I'd love to get yours as well. And if this podcast is an encouragement to you, pass it on to others as well. Well, I've shared this before, but this podcast was something born out of COVID. I'd actually been wanting to do it for many years. And and little known fact, I briefly had a podcast just out of college, back in the 90s before podcasts were really a thing. But it wasn't until COVID stopped our ability to gather and hold events, and then later in the summer, only with small groups, that became not just a desire, but really a necessity to find ways to get these stories out there, to show how God is working in our midst. For years now, we've had to hold online Zoom meetings, and it just made sense to start trying to report on those events in English as well, so that more of you could participate in the conversations from a distance and give you a chance to see and hear just a little of what God is doing here in Japan. And actually, you know, we're we're still pretty far from the kind of numbers we had at events before COVID. So this really is an ongoing necessity to find ways to get that message out there and those stories in as many different media as possible. So anyway, God is working. Many great things are happening. And I hope you'll continue to follow along with our stories in the months and years to come, because there are many great things to follow. In fact, I'm excited about our next episode. I'm going to try to do something different, uh, interviewing a lot of people at a conference I'm about to attend. This is the GCAM conference from September 11 to 14 in Fort Worth, Texas. This GCAM is the largest gathering of missionary artists in the world. And it's an amazing group of people who have learned so much from And I'm blessed to be able to call many of them friends. So I want to introduce them to you as well. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you really need to know a little bit about this conference and this group. And it's not too late to come. It's going to be the 20th anniversary of GHAM, the Global Consultation on Arts and Music and Missions. These conferences only happen every few years. The first one I attended was in Chiang Mai, Thailand. 
And after that, I was able to go to one in Nairobi, Kenya. And then during COVID, the event had to be moved online, but it was still an amazing time. The people at these events gather from all over the planet, many countries, many languages, many organizations, many churches, and they've taught me so much. When I first came into missions as an artist, I really had a very narrow view of what missions through the arts look like. The best example is probably in this area of contextualization. I saw my job as contextualizing the gospel to ways that Japanese people could hear and understand. The arts were a way to listen to and get insights into elements of Japanese culture and then learn how to talk about the gospel through them. I thought of myself as a a translator of sorts, you know, translating the gospel. But what I didn't see was what the Japanese people would teach me. You see, missions in Japan will never be over. You know, it, it isn't over even when the Japanese can no longer be called an unreached people group. Missions is eternal. Our glimpses into heaven through Revelation and all other books of the Bible show us that we will always be worshiping God, not just alongside the Japanese people, but through their art and culture. The best of every culture will be represented in heaven for the eternal glory of God. Every good and perfect gift is from God. Every work of art belongs to God. God is speaking through Japanese art and culture to share himself with the Japanese people and also with you and with me. I've tried to capture some of these examples in my books, The Broken Leaf, Aroma of Beauty, Pippi the Piano, and I have even more stories to share in my next two books, A Taste of Grace and Hidden Beauty. The work of missionaries in the arts is to listen and point out how God is already working in that culture. To show that God is not far from any person or culture, for in him all the nations live and move and have their being. So in other words, missions is not temporary. It's not a dead-end street. It's not about me bringing the gospel to the Japanese people or the Japanese people bringing the gospel to me. It's about God bringing the gospel to all people through Japanese culture and through every other culture on the planet. This is just a little of what the community at GCAM has taught me. So I hope you can be part of it as well. Again, September 11 through 14, 2023, Fort Worth, Texas. I'll include the website for this conference and a link to registration in the show notes for this episode. Okay, today I'll be sharing a conversation with Dr. Ron Mann, one of the organizers for this conference. He himself is a missionary artist, having served in Europe for many years, and now travels the globe teaching about the biblical foundations of worship. It's an understatement to say that he's been a huge influence on my life, including introducing me to this concept of ethnodoxology, worship through the cultures of the world and the GCAM community. And he has a book coming out this fall called Let Us Draw Near, which many of us have been eagerly waiting for. It's only because of COVID that he finally had a chance to take a break from his busy traveling schedule and write down the things he's been teaching all these years. 
Anyway, without further ado, here's our conversation. So, Ron Mann, we're so happy to have you on this episode today. Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is awesome. So I am really intrigued by your travel history. I mean, you, you travel all over the place. Where have you been recently? Well, let's see. Last November, I was in Bangladesh, and then I go to Spain every February to a little Bible school, and then I was at a conference in Pakistan in the spring, and then went on from there to Ethiopia to teach in a theological college there. So, oh my goodness, covered some ground. <laughs> and so, like, how much time do you have between all these trips? Well, I usually would limit them to maybe four or five trips a year. Okay. Of, of two or two or maximum three weeks at a time. Well, it doesn't sound as bad when you put it that way, but when I get your newsletters, so I'm reading them, I'm like, I can't believe he's going on another trip. And sometimes it seems like you're only home for a week or two before you're off to some well, other place. It's, it's not or... quite that bad, but it's, <laughs> uh, I've had a lot of neat opportunities. I guess not that many people do what I do teaching on on worship, biblical worship in that way. So, Yeah, so tell us more about what are you doing? What are you traveling to, to do? Well, my, my disclaimer when I go into these places to teach, usually in schools, Bible schools, seminaries, Bible colleges and whatnot, for a week or two, and I, I usually start out by saying, I've not come to tell you exactly how to do worship in your culture because I'm not from your culture. What I can share with you are biblical principles of worship, which because they're biblical, by definition, transcend culture. And that's what I can share with them. I, I have colleagues in, in some of the organizations we'll be talking about later uh, who have been on the mission field for, for years, decades maybe, in, in mm. particular spots. And after that, after being immersed in the culture for that long, have, have a right and have a say to, to speak into some of the actual practices of worship in their cultures. And I don't, I don't have that right to do it, just in and, in and out one or two weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I don't try to speak very much about practices. We'll talk a little bit about practical aspects, but the main thing is just laying these biblical foundations. And, and what I've found that's really exciting is that everywhere I've gone in the world, mm -hmm. uh, I've found real hearts for worship uh, in, in these students that I teach. And that's, that's something you can't teach <laughs> a heart for worship. Uh, but what mm -hmm. I've found in so many places that, that with this commitment, this heart for this love for worship already, when you add some real solid biblical content to it, mm -hmm. they just, they just soak it up and, and come alive. Mm. You know, it'd be a lot harder to teach them a heart for worship than to teach yeah. them biblical material to undergird yeah, it. So I'm trying to imagine what this looks like. You're walking into places where everyone speaks a different language, uh, wearing different clothes, perhaps eating different foods. I mean, completely different cultures. Yeah. Yeah, but there's been times when I've been in places in the world, I, I'm thinking of one particular uh, mini seminar I attended in India where a pastor stood up and said, we want to, we want to transcend culture. We want to think about the culture of heaven. And yeah. that is the real culture that we're trying to strive for. And so mm -hmm. how is what you're talking about different than that? Like, what, what does it mean to transcend culture? Well, I, I use an illustration in my teaching of a, of a bridge, which with, can't give you the graphic in this context, of course, <laughs> but 
but a, a suspension bridge where the two towers in the illustration represent a biblical framework which needs mm-hmm. to guide us and control us and 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 give that content that framework to our worship practices mm-hmm. but then in the illustration of a suspension bridge i explained that a lot of the weight of the bridge is borne by this cable or suspension span between mm-hmm. the two towers mm-hmm. which unlike the sturdy firm towers sunk deeply into the ground this cable has to have built into it a lot of flexibility because of changes of temperature and winds and so forth and that serves in the illustration to uh for the biblical framework being the towers and the span the flexible span representing the flexibility or latitude we have in worship practices, which the New Testament seems to allow because it, it frankly just does not give us a lot of detail about how our worship services should exactly look like. Mm-hmm. And I think, as it's been explained, that perhaps that's God's way of allowing the gospel as it goes into different cultures and as the church is planted uh, among the nations, uh, that there's room to breathe the air of that culture and give expression using the music, the arts, the different cultural expressions that are already built into people's hearts. Uh, And so I like to give the people that freedom uh, to give expression to that in their own way, in their own context, of their own arts and their own expressions and whatnot. And yet there's always this biblical framework, and, and that's what I try to explain, what I try to teach. Uh, in some ways, my job is easy because I teach them for one or two weeks on the biblical mm-hmm. foundations of framework, and then I leave. <laughs> and then they have the hard job of actually putting that into practice yeah. in their own context and making it fit into no, that, their own expression. That's beautiful. So you're, you're, you're giving us this picture of this suspension bridge, which can kind of move and flex with the situation. Right. You're coming into a group of people who are very passionate about worship. Mm-hmm. And giving away a context for how to think creatively, right? About mm-hmm. what what can that look like? How does that affect? I don't know. I mean, not obviously the the worship songs will be in different languages, but more than that, like what does that mean in terms of what instruments do we use? What does that mean in terms of what themes we're singing about? What does that mean in terms of um, maybe dance would be part of the liturgy? Mm-hmm. Maybe there be. Mm-hmm visual arts part of the liturgy. Maybe there's other right. things as well, right? right? Right, and I encourage them to think about things maybe they haven't thought about, but pulling from their own culture, from their own right. their own context, uh, what they could pull in and effectively use. Uh, in their yeah, I, I mean, it always kind of bothers me when I travel around the world and attend various worship services, and I feel like I could be anywhere in the world at any time in history, <laughs> because I feel like, wow, we've really lost the richness of what this could be. Like, I, I feel like something's wrong if I'm attending a worship service and it's exactly the same, mm. whether I'm in India or Malaysia or America or France. It's like there should be differences besides the language that's spoken, right? Is that right. what you're saying? Sure, sure. And uh, yeah, I really believe that. But there's another... There's another complication in that, um, and, and in this world of ethnodoxology, we'll throw that term out right now, which is, mm-hmm. which is uh, you know, ethnomusicology is a, uh, 
you find in secular universities as well, which is just a study of the different musics of the people of the world. And ethnodoxology is sort of a new field in the world of missions, a newly coined term that speaks to the worship, ethno meaning people, and doxology meaning praise or glory. Mm -hmm. And it's how the different peoples of the world praise our great God in their different cultural contexts and whatnot. So this is a growing, burgeoning field uh, in missions uh, that's grabbed a lot of people's attention just in recent decades of, of really valuing and validating of the local expression. So missionaries not coming in as used to be done all too often, bringing the gospel dressed in their own cultural clothing. So they right. brought not only the gospel, um, but too often they brought English and they, and they brought their own dress or their own instruments, their own styles of music and whatnot. But there's mm -hmm. been much uh, a wonderful development of missionaries being trained and developed to go in and be listeners and learners and take the long route of really immersing themselves uh, in the culture, and then and only then perhaps being able to be part of the discussion about what can effectively uh, be used from the culture in the local expressions of worship as the gospel uh, reaches them as the church is planted and whatnot. So, so it's a wonderful development in the field of missions and has been so, so effective as, as people, first of all, Bible translation, so they get the Bible translated into their own language. And mm -hmm. So they say, well, God speaks my language, not just the white man's language or something coming from the outside. Right. But the same thing with the arts when they say, well, God loves my music or my art, mm -hmm. or my whatnot, and, and uh, not just what's brought in from the outside. And so that, that's been a wonderful and freeing development and so effective in, in letting people be who they are, what they are, what's already built into their DNA from, from childhood up and whatnot, and that that can be a way to give expression uh, to their worship. This conference uh, we had in, uh, that you were part of, Roger, in Africa, and this, the Maasai people came from Tanzania. Uh, they're very distinctive in their dress. They're very tall and wear these red plaid costumes, and they have very distinctive forms of dance and dress and music and whatnot. And they, it was explained to us at the conference that for a long time the gospel was not making inroads into that culture until somebody, missionary somebody, was able to make clear to them that they could become Christians and still be Maasai, mm -hmm. that they could bring their own expressions to bear uh, in an uh, expression of Christian faith. And, and then the gospel took hold and many, many of them uh, came to Christ. So, so just that valuing and validating of who people are and their culture and the air they breathe uh, has been such a powerful force uh, in missions in the last decade. Now the complication I started to make reference to with this is that whether we like it or not, part of the reality is that young people all over the world, especially in urban areas, through because of modern communication and the internet and globalization and whatnot, whether we like it or not, Western popular styles of music are part of what we call the heart music mm -hmm. uh, of young people all over the world. Right. And so that's a complicating factor. We want to value local expressions, local instruments and whatnot, but it's not, a, it can't be an either or thing. Mm -hmm. We can't just, we don't want to stomp out the the old traditional ways, but we don't want to say, well, the new ways come from the West and they're not allowed when it's what, what the young people, it's, is what's being built into their, 
them uh, in their own cultural context. So it has to be a both and, and that that makes it complicated and tricky and whatnot. But um, we need to give place to both of that, and we we find that in in my country in the United States as as well. You know, you have issues like that between generations. You you have cultural differences, not just between countries or nations or whatnot, you find gener- uh, cultural differences within individual churches, especially between the generations, young and old and whatnot, mm-hmm. who who see things and like things and prefer things uh, in much different ways from one another. And so, again, it needs to be a both in and, and a teaching aspect and a discipling aspect of teaching uh, the people to to honor the young people to honor the older and the older people to honor the young and that they both have valid expressions to bring. And if, if I could tell a, a a quick story, okay, sure, that I heard once at a conference, Joe Stoll, who was president of Moody Bible Institute at the time, told this beautiful story about uh, they had a radio station, have a radio station connected with Moody Bible Institute, and they had. Uh, they decided to change their music format for many, many years. They had sort of traditional, old-fashioned church hymn, gospel hymn-type music, and they decided to change to a more contemporary music format. And Joe told a story at this conference about getting a letter from an elderly woman and said, I've, uh, I've been listening to your station and supporting it financially for years, and I just love the old hymns and the old things he broadcasts and whatnot. And now you've gone and de- decided to change uh, the format uh, to this more contemporary style. But, she wrote, if you think, that's what's needed to reach the youth of today. I want you to know I'm 100% behind it. Here's my check. Mm-hmm. And I thought, nice. what a beautiful, <laughs> mature Christian expression. That it's not just, not just about me, not just about mm-hmm. her or what I want or what I like, what I prefer. Uh, and uh, I, I often tell that story because I, I think it's such a tremendous expression of true Christian yeah. love and maturity. You know that what? we need more of. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I think it's interesting about that story of the, the dancers. I remember them coming in, mm-hmm. and it was really cool to how the rings around their necks and legs and mm-hmm. wrists would make this sound that was rhythmic. Mm-hmm. And we were all just amazed at the, the dress that they had on. But then I remember a number of us Westerners afterwards saw that after the worship service, they changed and changed into Western clothing. Oh, did I? I didn't even notice that. We're like, oh, Oh. no. So I think that's one aspect of what you're talking about, too. It's not just either or that they are children of Western culture as well. That's kind of prevalent worldwide, but they can also, so they can worship through the traditional art forms that they've adopted and feel mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is special. This is part of our yeah. heritage or kind of part of our ancestral family. But at the same time, they can also join in, in, in worship services right. that have a kind of a, a Western style as well at other times and be like and be able to engage in that and well i come home after church and change clothes too so <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a similar thing yeah you know? yeah i just there's so many different ways that we can well like a, a mutual friend of ours nancy nethercott just mm-hmm. she just sent out her newsletter and i don't think she'd mind me sharing this story how she was talking about how she said a singing uh, uh songwriting workshop mm-hmm. 
And it wasn't just about writing new songs in their language, but they ended up adopting themes that are not often talked about in what we may find in like Western hymnody or something. Mm -hmm. And that because of the way that people are coming at in their cultural context, the, the history, the different things they've had to go through, that they end up uh, wanting to sing about something maybe different, maybe a different perspective of um, God's traits and characteristics than what we may often see. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, yeah. So they wouldn't, they'd be topics that wouldn't be normally dealt with in their own culture? Or would be, right. Well, I mean, for an example, like, let me discussion. give one that I, where I uh, have experience with. With, um, I mean, a topic we often see in American songs is rejoicing in God as the resurrected Savior, the one who is crucified, but He has come again, and He has victory over the grave. And that seems to be something that a lot of contemporary songs today embrace. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Japan, when we're writing contemporary songs, it's usually about the suffering of Christ mm. on the cross. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So American songs in general may tend to focus on Easter. Japanese contemporary songs may tend to focus on Good Friday. They're both true, and you, you need elements of both, but it's just because mm. of there's a certain Japanese are especially, I don't know, sensitive. I could say to the beauty in suffering, how mm. things th- through brokenness, there's a beauty that comes mm. and seeing that in the gospel is something that's so attractive to Japanese. They love singing about it. So a lot of the songs I'm thinking about that we've written in our church that Japanese people have been writing mm-hmm. ha- end up having those themes of the suffering servant or mm. the, the God of, of who knows our pain and things, things mm. a lot of themes like that. Yeah, I have a friend who wrote a dissertation on looking at some American songs and hymns and whatnot, and there there is that tendency, like you're saying, of, of this sort of everything's great, everything's fine, looking ahead mm-hmm. and what's mm-hmm. it, you know, whatnot, and and not always dealing with some of the hard hard realities of life. So there there needs to be in any culture, I think there needs to be a some balance and not neglect one and just focus on the other. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really believe God is, speaks through our cultures in different ways, just sharing, showing his glory, but in ways that help us see him that really fit where we are at as a culture. Like some, mm-hmm. some cultures have been really beaten down over the years. And mm-hmm. so you end up seeing that in in their prayers you end up seeing that in their worship songs so again it's a both and you have to you have to transcend the culture in a certain sense because you can't just stay wallowing in the in the sadness and whatnot because there is victory in christ and whatnot but you need to bring the reality of life into our uh, expressions and lament and things like that have an appropriate place as well yeah so I want to ask, so this conference you're referencing is a GCAM, Global Consultation on Arts and Music and Missions. Mm-hmm. And there is a conference coming up mm-hmm. this September, which is really exciting. And I'd like to hear from you. You're on the board of this organization. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to hear from you more about what what is this organization? How did it get okay. started? And okay. just... 
Well, this is our 20th anniversary celebration. We started 20 years Ooh. ago, and we're going to be at the same location we uh, started at 20 years ago at Southwestern Baptist Seminary in Fort Worth, who's very welcomed us with open arms and are really helping us uh, get this thing going. Uh, since then, we've we met in Minnesota, then we moved overseas. We met in Singapore and Chiang Mai, Thailand, and Nairobi, Kenya. And the last one was during COVID. We had to do an online mm -hmm. version of it, as so many other organizations did. So we're back in person, and uh, we're excited about this 20th anniversary. And since the right before COVID, I think we decided to change the name. Originally, it was GCOM which was the Global Consultation on Music and Missions. Mm -hmm. And we were hearing that and realized that we needed to broaden it and realize that there's a, there's a place for all of the arts, so uh, visual arts, uh, spoken arts, dance, and all the other things. And so we, we decided to change the name, change. We were already reflecting some of that and what we did, but we wanted to make it more explicit. And, and honor the other arts and not just be primarily about music. So it is now the Global Consultation on Arts mm -hmm. and Music uh, in Missions. And so uh, these so, conferences... Yeah, why did it start? What was the purpose of these? Well, it was, uh, it was to, to gather people from many different nations and basically celebrate the kind of thing, the kind of diversity we're talking about in expressions and mm -hmm. in worship and and music, the arts and music uh, in in worship in the church and also in outreach and missions and ministry and discipleship and whatnot, and, and just to celebrate that. So these gatherings have usually been about 200, 250 people with people usually from about 35 different nations. And so, we, mm. so we, we've had, we have, have had and will have this fall. Uh, so plenary speakers uh, giving us some biblical foundations again, but a lot of breakout groups talking about specific arts, uh, areas of the arts, specific issues that we face. Uh, we'll gather in breakouts in regional uh, global regions of the world and uh, break up that way. Lots of time for fellowship and just interaction. That networking is just a huge aspect of that. And actually, 20 years ago, when the first GCOM was held, born at the same time was a group called the, uh, well, at the time, was called the International Council of Ethnodoxologists. Mm -hmm. uh, the name has since been changed because ICE sounds too much like border control in the United States. Mm. And so they changed the name to the Global Ethnodoxology Network. And, uh, the, uh, and what that is, that's an org organization. GCAM, GCAM is more of an event, uh, an occasional event. And G Gen is a global organization, not really an organization so much as a network, sort of an umbrella mm -hmm. network of people all over the world that are involved in using the arts in different ways in missions work, in outreach and, and worship and, and teaching and discipleship and whatnot. So it's just a way to connect people that and resource people and help pe have people see how they can cooperate together. Uh, and it's been wonderful how the how both the organization Gen and the event GCAM have grown over the years and is, have been particularly valuable. And I think you, Roger, yourself uh, have given testimony to what it's meant in your life. Maybe you want to comment on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
as you were speaking, I was thinking about the, uh, you led kind of a, a discussion group at the, the conference, the gathering that we had in Kenya. And it was interesting to me how they were talking about which instruments are okay to use in worship. And there was a traditional instrument that I forget the name of it, but that the um, people are like, oh, no, 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 you can't use that instrument in worship because it's just, it has religious significance that isn't Christian. And so that's very distracting. So we can't use that. But you brought out that in the discussion, we found out that if they had just moved, what was it, a red uh, cloth was attached to one? If you just remove the red cloth right. or something, there's like one little change to the instrument suddenly made it okay because then it wasn't used for idol worship anymore, but could be used for Christian worship. Right. And we all around the room were like, oh, interest!" Like yeah. it just to be able to share stories like that and to hear about the kind of debates that people are having around the world mm -hmm. and to share that together was fascinating to me. Yeah. Because it's uh, part of that whole discussion is that, you know, as we say, we want to value and validate local expressions. It does not mean that anything goes. We just mm -hmm. pull anything from the culture. And one of the most common questions I get when I travel different parts of the world is the question, you know, is such and such kind of music appropriate for use in Christian worship? And it can be in all different kinds of categories. And uh, it's a it's a difficult question. And sometimes, like I said, even our, in my country, the generations will have different ideas about what's acceptable mm -hmm. and what isn't. Um, but the fact of the matter is that it's tricky and it doesn't mean you just pull anything in from the culture, but you have to use some discernment and biblical wisdom. And, and it ha a lot has to do with associations, as you were saying, you mm -hmm. know, if a particular instrument or a particular right. kind of music or art form was used in ancestor worship or demon worship even and whatnot, that maybe you better leave it alone or at least remove the red cloth, right. <laughs> make acceptable <laughs> or whatnot. And so actually missionaries, ethnodoxologists or arts consultants, as they're sometimes called, are receiving pretty advanced training now to be able to go into these fields and use discernment and help the people uh, consider uh, together some of these things and what can be fruitfully brought in and what best be left left alone. So it's a it's it's a tricky thing, you know, the Bible doesn't address all these different instruments and art forms and whatnot. So we need to bring biblical wisdom to bear. You know, Paul says all things are lawful, not all things are profitable. So what's going to be profitable? And that will differ from culture mm -hmm. to culture. What what can be brought in and uh, what should we best uh, leave alone and not bring in? So so it, it takes it takes care. It needs uh, wisdom. It takes some specialized training, but also listening to the locals, as you're saying, to hear right. their stories and what it really, what the really, real intentions are and meanings and associations are, so we can uh, make those kind of those decisions in, yeah, a, in a biblical and wise way. Yeah, the first GCAM that I went to was in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and first of all, I was. The thing that impressed me the most was the way was the love that everyone was showing for each other these are people from all over the world mm. and wrestling with these questions what does worship look like in our context mm -hmm. and 
we were meeting, we specifically were beneficiaries of, a, there's a school there, a Christian school that dance is really big at the school, right? Mm-hmm. So we were shown how in Thai traditional dance, glory, giving glory, giving praise to God through traditional Thai dance. I guess before that point, in my mind, I thought of the arts as something like a um, contextualization. It's a only a tool that you try to use to reach people. But when it comes from the native people themselves, like the mm-hmm. Thai saying, this is our native dance. We want to use this to worship God. What does that look like? And to figure it out within that community Mm. was just such a beautiful thing. It didn't seem Mm -hmm. as contrived or something like as something you're trying. There was a beauty about it that just made my own heart sing about, Oh, there's Mm. so many ways that we can praise God. And I felt like I was getting a picture of heaven itself. We're not just praising God in different languages, but through our every culture Every dance, every, you know, all the clothings, uh, traditional clothings of the world to see just a little glimpse of that was such a beautiful thing that led me in worship. You know, I think as missionaries, sometimes we have this concept that we come in and, okay, how can I contextualize this so that those people know the gospel and fail to see the reverse happening? Like, oh my, I am led in worship of God because of what I am seeing the people right, here doing. Right, right. The beauty of that diversity is what you're talking about, I mm-hmm. think. And like you say, there can never be too many ways to praise, praise our almighty God. And yeah. uh, that uh, God is a creator God. He's created a world of incredible diversity. And I think that diversity honors him and glorifies him when, when we can bring all that to bear from all the nations of the world. and. Uh, give our own expressions to it and and not one size fits all uh, kind yeah. of approach to it. So. Yeah, I think like what you just said there, that kind of explains why people should come to GCAM in September, right? Is to see mm-hmm. all these different ways that God is being praised and be drawn in themselves. Is there anything you'd add yeah. to that? Why do you think they should go to GCAM in September? Yeah, that's... That's exciting. It's uh, it's to to learn as, as I said before. A lot of it is just networking and connecting with people and and learning from what others are doing. But how can we cooperate together? And and we're hoping to spin off uh, perhaps some regional. You know, these are global conferences. We'd love to see regional conferences like this spun off, or mm-hmm. people from from East Asia, like like you and some your surrounding countries or in Europe, there's a group in Europe that's talking about having a European one. There's a group in the Caribbean that would like to pull one together mm-hmm. in South America. So we'd love to see that happen as well. So you're uh, informing, enriching one another, cooperation in uh, instilling cooperation and um, mutual aid and uh, cooperative efforts and things we can do together. So there's a lot of opportunity for that. So that, so there's a rich learning, a rich, uh, you know, networking is kind of the name of the game, I think, and in many ways when it comes to this, that that's just mutually enriching. And uh, it's a great place to network, uh, like you said, on, on a level mm-hmm. uh, that comes from a common love and commitment, not only for the Lord, but for worship and for expression, artistic expressions of worship. And and uh, and just to bask in the glory of of all that diversity is something that uh, 
is really rich and people come away from and i think you've come away from i've come away from yeah, uh really definitely. really impressed and and loving the lord more and his people more and uh just from seeing that glory well i can't wait man hey let's do it now <laughs> no we gotta wait till september, september 11th through 14 in fort worth texas at southwestern baptist <laughs> university uh, you can find out all the information at gcam.org. That's G-C-A-M-M, Global Consultation on Arts and Music and Missions.org. All the information there about all the things happening and how you can register and whatnot. The GEN, the Global Ethnodoxology Network, this umbrella organization, uh, has a website, too, that's called worldofworship.org, worldofworship.org. Uh, but the event in, in September, we're, we're really excited about it. Um, people are signing up. We're gathering that diversity from the nations to come and celebrate together. We're very excited that Roger Lowther is going to be one of our plenary speakers <laughs> and is going to speak to us from his own from his context of his fruitful artistic ministry in Japan. But he's also, as he was telling me today, is going to share about just what GCAM has meant to him and how it's enriched him and, and widened his horizons. And uh, he's just a, a great uh, poster boy for the event and what it, <laughs> what it can mean uh, among an arts worker. Yeah, um, I'm really honored to have the chance to kind of share how it really has changed the way I think about ministry as we do it in Japan. Mm. That's and that's wonderful, and that'll be, that'll be really encouraging to hear on the, at this twentieth anniversary celebration as well. Very so. cool. Well, we need to stop soon, but before we do, I'd love to let people know about your book that's coming out. It's pretty exciting. Can you tell us something yeah. about that? Well, I've I've got a basic course that I teach on the biblical foundations of worship that just sort of walks people through and. Uh, you know, deals with some some fundamental introductory issues about worship, revelation and response paradigm of worship, and walk walk people the students through the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and talk about the centrality of worship throughout the Bible, and uh, how that's a that's a a major theme, if not the integrating theme of the whole Scriptures uh, and the biblical story. And so I, I've been teaching this course in. Uh, I'll be teaching this fall in Turkey, which will be the 40th country that I've had the opportunity to teach mm. on worship in. So I've had tremendous opportunities. And one benefit, along with all the downsides of COVID, was that gave me opportunity, because of not being able to travel so mm. much, or at all, uh, to actually put that course into book form. So that's what I've done. And as I grow older and maybe we'll travel a little less, if I'm not able to come, I'll, I've got a book now to say this is the course. This is basically everything I've been talking about, everything I've been teaching for the yeah. last 20 years. I've got into a book. I'm really excited about that. Have a publisher. It's in process. Mm -hmm. It's going slowly. Hopefully it will be out this fall, I think. But anyway, it's called Let Us Draw Near, Biblical Foundations of Worship. Uh, that phrase, of course, comes from Hebrews chapter 10, where it says we have confidence to enter into the presence of God. And because Christ has opened the way through his flesh, uh, the writer says, let us draw near to God in full assurance of faith that Christ has opened the way, done everything necessary to have free access into the presence of God, a uniquely New Testament aspect, mm -hmm. understanding of worship. And uh, that's so key 
and that open access we have in and through and even with Christ into the presence of God. So that's, that's the title, Let Us Draw Near, and it's laying biblical foundations of worship. It's going to be a big book. It's a textbook, uh, but uh, I've just poured everything into it, uh, everything I know virtually and uh, everything I've been teaching about for 20 years. So, so I'm excited that it's down and, you know, I'm excited and, too. And it's going to come out, I hope, and will be a textbook that'll, that'll be useful in, in schools and, and to, to lay people, anybody who mm-hmm. wants to, to have an understanding in, in our worship. Yeah, it's very exciting. I'm so glad it's finally getting into print form because I've been able to hear you speak in a number of places in the world now, including Japan. Mm-hmm. And I remember when you were teaching in my home, we had a large group of people, mm-hmm. and that ended up sparking conversations that lasted for months afterwards. People mm-hmm. saying, just trying to wrestle with the content that you're bringing up. So wow. it, it's, it's going to be used, Miley, I know. Right. So, Ron, thank you so much for sitting down tonight. It was awesome to be able to talk with you about these things. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you. I always love talking about it. And look forward to maybe seeing many of you at, at TCAM yeah, in September. Yeah, I'll see you there. Yeah. So, GCAM is pretty cool, and I really do hope to see many of you there. This is Roger Lather, and you've been listening to the Art Life Faith Podcast. As we say in Japan, Ja, mata ne! See you next time.